please uh, stay open at Proverbs chapter 3. We all trust in something. East Street, Brighton, yesterday. Little pop-up stalls. You might not be able to make it out on the screen, but uh, there's a lady doing uh, tarot reading there. There's another lady doing hair braiding. And there are people shopping. These are the gods of the age we live in, in this city. Many others as well. We rely on something or some things. Christian people are called to trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. This has been the recurring message of the past few months as Phil has taken us through the book of Isaiah. We have kept on seeing that message, haven't we? Through all the instances of the storylines of what people were going through. The message is again and again, trust the Lord, trust the Lord. And this is not haphazard. This is a word for us as a church. And I'd like to suggest several reasons why this is a word for us at this time. Um, Because there have been blockages. I think it's fair to say that we hoped two and a half years ago we started on a process of looking for an assistant pastor. Uh, That hasn't occurred. There appear to have been sort of blockages in that way. And can I say this? I think there have also been some disappointments. It's a hard thing to say that in church because in a way you feel that uh, it's very important that everyone is encouraged when they come to church. But I think there have been some disappointments. I felt disappointed because I felt at the beginning of the year that the Lord was speaking to us very clearly and helpfully and that uh, there were a number of people coming in. But it's been like the morning dew in some way. Those folk have not continued. Some have gone off. Um, I'm very saddened about the Chinese folk, that we haven't seen progress in their lives. All sorts of reasons, explanations, but I have felt disappointed. You, You know that. You know that that's what happens with pastors. They feel disappointed. It's a real experience. feel desperately disappointed when people seem to have come that close and yet not followed on. But disappointments and blockages force us to face this truth in a way that prosperity and a sunny day does not. It is a harsh fact about human nature that uh, when all seems to be going smoothly, then we don't look to the Lord in the same way as we are forced to when there appear to be problems, frustrations, difficulties. And this is a call for us as a church. I hope that you too might feel disappointed when those that you have prayed for earnestly appear to have hearts which are just as hard as they were months, years ago. It is a message for us individually because 
here's the truth. We can't trust the Lord as a church if we're not trusting the Lord individually. You thought about that? How can we trust the Lord as a church if we are not trusting him individually? The church isn't some other organization. It's us. And the strength of the church is reflected by the strength of the spiritual life of its members. I think that's one of the statements we make in the members' membership meeting, isn't it? If there is slackness amongst us, there will be slackness in the church. If our lives are going wrong, the life of the church will be damaged. The church is not some other organization than the amalgamation of the individuals. And so how helpful it is for us to turn to the book of Proverbs this morning because the book of Proverbs is actually addressed not to a church, not even to a group of people, but it's like a fireside chat of a father to his son. We read in chapter 1, verse 8, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. It's very domestic, isn't it? It's very family-based. It's very one-to-one. Like a father calling his son on one side, saying, I just really need to talk to you. I need to tell you some things. You need to know this. I think every father in this room would to be delighted to have that opportunity with their children at some point. It's too rare, isn't it? But this is Proverbs, and this is the father passing on wisdom to the son. How to live life rightly. How to live life well. It's a very important book. We're just going to look at some prime teaching as found in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. What a well-known verse this is. I imagine that if you were to close your eyes and not look at the screen, Many of you could actually recite that back to me. Do, do, do many of you have that as a memory verse in your, in your life? It's just the sort of thing that, that we do have. It's right up there with John 3.16 and the other, other famous ones. And um, it's a great verse. Great verses. But we need to be careful that we don't abbreviate what this passage says to this dot 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 the Lord dot 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 will direct your paths okay so you see what I've, see what I've done there I've taken a pair of scissors and I've cut out all, all those intermediate phrases and just got to this point where we're saying oh I know what this verse is about this is about guidance and that's what we all need in life isn't it we live in a confusing, distracting world, and I need guidance. Lord, please show me the way I should go. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. The Lord will direct your paths. It's very encouraging, isn't it? 
And I'm sure that you, like me, have put this verse on the bottom of of a letter to a friend or quoted it to somebody and um, opened your Bible and shared it with somebody at a time of prayer. And there is encouragement in this verse. But if we abbreviate this text to that, we are actually missing the point. It's not all about guidance. There's a context. It's not just about what, what should I do, but how and when. And it actually teaches us something far bigger than a narrowly focused idea about how to find out God's will in my life, but a way of living, a way of living. And that's why these two verses are so precious, because it's actually about a way of living. It's not about that crisis moment. Should I marry this person? Let's get Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 out and see what it has to say. No, it's about just 24-7. It applies to all of us in this room today. Actually, all of us. Absolutely all of us. If you're not a Christian today, I I want to say to you, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. But it's something which should be growingly precious to those who are walking the Christian life and hopefully, if you have been walking the Christian life for some 10 or 20 years, you could put your hand up and say, do you know what? I've proven this to be absolutely true. What a precious thing. What a precious testimony to be able to say to others. And an important testimony. Because you need to be able to say it like a father to a son or a mother to a daughter. So an older person to a younger person here in this church can say, Look you straight in the eyes and say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. What better advice could you receive? It neatly breaks down into four sections and... We start with trust in the Lord with all your heart. And immediately the the heart of the the Hebrew leaps at this point because he is invited to trust in the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Ah, yes, the covenant God of Israel, the God who revealed himself over years and centuries to his people. The God who declared himself by mighty works. This is the Lord in whom this son is encouraged to trust. The Lord. We read Psalm 111 where it says, God has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Uh, The Lord is very concerned that his ways and works should be remembered. And he made it a a sort of cardinal rule for his people that they should remember 
the ways of the Lord. And they were given examples of how to do that. The stones were set up, weren't they? There were altars of sacrifice. There was the ceremonies of the tabernacle and later the temple. The Day of Atonement. The Passover. All these were fixed points in the calendar of life so they might remember the ways of the Lord. Um, God is very jealous that his name should be remembered, that his ways should be remembered, not forgotten, not buried away, but remembered, recounted, refreshed to us. So we have the Lord's table here twice a month. First Sunday of the month, the third Sunday of the month. If you don't come to the Lord's table, you're disobeying a command of God. He has set this table so that his ways should be remembered. Because it's as we remember his ways that we remember him. And we know what kind of a God he is. Because this is not just a mantra to be repeated again and again. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. I say it over and over again as if I was a Catholic saying the rosary. It's not like that at all. Nor is it some sort of seven-step idea that the Alcoholics Anonymous have. Where they say, well, whatever higher power you have, trust in that. Well, who is that higher power? No, no, our God has revealed himself in his word and by his deeds and they're recorded for us that we may very seriously learn who he is. Because when we learn how he, who he is, we say, oh, that's the same God. The God who delivered his people out of Egypt is the same God who will deliver me in the difficult workplace trouble that I'm facing tomorrow. The God who protected his people as they went through the wilderness is the same God who's going to protect me from the, the jibes and insinuations and possibly the lies of somebody who's turned against me. This is it. Because God is a God who has provided and protected and delivered and granted victory. And uh, as we carefully read the Old Testament... We see that's exactly what he does for his people again and again and again because he's committed to them. He loves them that much. I will be your God and you will be my people. And all this is filled out for us in the personal work of Jesus Christ because the Lord became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who has provided for us so richly that in our death and darkness he has transformed that by his sacrifice upon the cross and granted unto us life eternal. He protects us against the devil because the devil was defeated at Calvary. He has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. And we have victory because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
And so all these things that the young Hebrew was reading a thousand years before Christ, they're made deliciously and deeply real for us, aren't they, in Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is the Lord I'm recommending to you today. The God who, who has said, you can put your confidence in this. Read about me. See what I've done. See how I've behaved. This is the Lord to trust in. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't put your reliance upon your own understanding. Please don't confuse this. You mustn't ignore your understanding because it's God's gift to you. It's God's gift. But hopefully all of us learn by the, the sequences of our lives, the passages of things we go through, and hopefully day by day our understanding is being sanctified. But don't rely upon your understanding, your thoughts, because they're damaged by sin. Your understanding is damaged by sin. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Well, in this life, yes, there will come a time when the heart is actually completely restored. But uh, brothers and sisters, uh, no matter how long you've gone on in the Christian life, don't ever think you're getting to a point where you have such knowledge and experience that you can rely upon your own understanding. That way lies disaster. We need to put ourselves in the place of humility, recognizing that uh, no matter how much of the Lord's goodness or discipline we have received, we're not in a fit place to trust in our own understandings. We need to put our reliance upon Jehovah God. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge is much more than waving, nodding, casual greeting in the street. That's what the English word suggests, isn't it? Like someone comes into the room and says, That's not what this is about. But a warm and welcoming embrace and an invitation into the home. Opening up our life. So here's the challenge. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Let's just change that word acknowledge to warmly welcome. Inviting into the home. Would you like the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your home? Sounds nice. But then you think, I've left it in a bit of a mess. There are many rooms in all our homes. You actually might not own a home. You might live in one room, but I... I want you to know that actually your life is a home. <laughs> and there are many rooms in your life. There's a room of decision. A room where the decisions are made. 
I'd like you to look at verses 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Modern parenting is all about being positive. It's amazing the semantics that modern parents seem to get into to uh, try to avoid saying the no word. Well done for not getting near the fire rather than no. We live in a world where anything which is negative is it seems somehow to be rather damaging. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Do you realize, Christian people, there is a place in the Christian life for saying no? As David was reminding us, be careful what you see and hear and speak. There are places of saying no. This is the room of decision where we learn to say no and we stick to it. So Paul writes to Timothy. We think of him as a young man, but actually he's probably about 40. And he tells him to flee the lusts of youth. Flee the lusts of youth. That doesn't sound very positive, does it? Why not have a go at it? Why not just find the Lord in every situation? No, Paul's very straightforward about it. He says the same word to us. You just flee it. Don't touch it. Don't go near it. You've got nothing to do with it. That's not being cowardly. That's just saying, I belong to the Lord. I'm not going to go down that route. You learn to say no, and you stick to it. Are you all right with that? You're right with that thought. Brothers and sisters, we, we can be so drugged by the spirit of this age that we don't put no upon anything. I can taste it. I'm strong enough. I can deal with it. God will help me. Rubbish. There are some things you have to say no to. Flee, flee. That sounds like a strong word, doesn't it? At the end of the service, you're going to walk out the door. But fleeing is not walking out the door. Fleeing is like John Bunyan's pilgrim, shutting his ears and running away from the city of destruction. So I'm not going to touch that. I just know how weak I am. I can't allow myself to be in that same territory. I have to get out of it. All of us has a room of decision. And we need to put Proverbs 3 verses 7 and 8 over that room. And say that's what I'm going to do. And for your children as well. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. What I've noticed is that when we dabble in sinful things or doubtful things, life becomes messy. 
it just becomes unsatisfying. Here's a promise. Shun evil, fear the Lord, health to your body and nourishment to your bones. It's a great thing to be able to go into every day. Open eyes, hands out, unashamed. I'm not going to say sorry for what I did last night. I'm going into this day in the strength and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not carrying the baggage of poor decisions on my back. And there's the room of stuff, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. This is a room where you have all your stuff, all that you've accumulated by way of qualifications and hard work. The Lord is very interested in that room. Because all of this stuff actually belongs to him. And he's interested to see how you're handling this on his behalf. It's hard to get our mind around that thought, isn't it? It's a very scriptural one, though, isn't it? We're stewards of all that God has given to us. Do you know what a steward is? A steward is somebody who looks after stuff on behalf of someone else. He doesn't own it. He looks after it. And if anything's going to happen to that stuff, he has to find out from the master what the master wants that to be done. The master says, no, what, what, that, that stuff, I want you to give that to somebody else. The steward says, okay, that's fine. That's what I do. So some of you, you're chasing after degrees, masters, PhDs. God has blessed you with the intelligence and the opportunity to do it. That's wonderful. But please note, when you get that certificate at the end of the day, and it goes up on your wall, you have to write upon it, steward, steward, steward. That's not yours, it's yours on behalf of him. Kept in trust for some purpose that he will reveal. That's your stuff. There was someone in the Bible who had a real problem with stuff. His name is Achan, and we come across him in the book of Joshua. Do you remember that? where the Lord's people had a great victory and all the booty they gathered from that victory, they were to dedicate to the Lord. But Achan, he took some of that which should have been given to the Lord and he buried it in a hole underneath his tent and disaster came upon all the people. Disaster came on all the people of God because of the misbehavior of this one man. You read his story in uh, Joshua 7, verses 20 and 21. Achan replied, it's true, because he was found out. 
I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. It ended in judgment for Achan and his family, which was a, a great tragedy as well, wasn't it? That the, uh, the sin of one man should be the downfall of his family as well. So no doubt Achan thought, I'm only one person. The Lord won't notice this. It's only a small thing. He could quote the scriptures, the Lord owes the cattle on a thousand hills. What is it to God whether I have a little bit of this for myself? But God's a jealous God and he, he won't have us storing stuff for ourselves. He brings us into the place where we have to acknowledge him in all our ways. The Lord loves those who sit very lightly to what they have but are constantly using it in a way that pleases him. He trusts them with more. Which is the reason why we go on to read in Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And some of us imperfectly, though we have gone through life, have known the pleasure and the measure of this great goodness of God. That those who are good stewards of what he has given, he gives that steward more. Why wouldn't he? It's just the same at work. If I see someone doing really well with a job, I'll give them more. I'll give them greater responsibility. That's logic, isn't it? That's good human understanding. If I see someone dropping the ball constantly, misusing what's been given to them, not acting on behalf of the master, if you like, why would I give them any more? It's a spiritual truth. Oh, that we, we all should be those who can say that we honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits of all our crops. So if you have blessing coming to you this week, your first thought is, how can I bless the Lord? How can I give to the Lord? How can I acknowledge the Lord in this? This isn't my money. This is to give to the Lord. So the Israelites were taught if they had those first fruits that they gave the very best of it to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if it so happens that you're given £10,000 this week, I do hope very much that you would actually make this a matter for prayer and you'd say to the Lord, what do you want me to do with this? What blessing he has in store for those who look after the room of stuff. But what about the room of God's discipline? Or the room of God's teaching? Verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke. These words are quoted in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Now this is a room which feels quite sad. You're a bit uncomfortable going into this room. 
it makes you uneasy when you go here you go reluctantly but the Lord would have us realize that if we're his children and we are we need a father's correction and shaping and we do this is usually through difficulties it's not pleasant but it's necessary you can find all those thoughts in Hebrews chapter, chapter 12 no discipline for the moment seems pleasant but painful but all this and this room is absolutely useless if we don't try to understand what God is saying and doing in our lives we're all like this so I put myself in exactly the same place as all of you you get into trouble in some way or other whether it's mental spiritual physical you're in some difficulty please pray for me that I should be relieved of this trouble isn't that right and I don't deny the reality and the importance of that prayer but we need to be careful that our prayers are not limited to the issues of relief and to recognize that there may be some important lessons that the Lord is trying to teach us through the experiences that we're going through because praise God he's in the darkness of that room praise God it's not taken him by surprise praise God it's part of his sovereign purpose When through the deep waters he calls you to go, the rivers of grief will not thee overflow. For he will be with thee in trouble to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. It's a great hymn. It's a Bible hymn. It's a Bible truth. Now we live in a world that absolutely rejects pain, rejects difficulty, signed a card yesterday happy birthday NHS 70 years bless you dear people who work in this fantastic healthcare system but there's also people who live with chronic illness and what place have we got in our thinking about them there are those of us who have the pain of children who are not yet belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ and it's gone on for years and years and years and there are situations that you're facing that you just wish you weren't facing so invariably there are people in your workplace and invariably it might be your line manager you have a problem with and you think if only if only if only life was a bit different but, but it's not so here you've got two routes either you can squirm and squiggle and try and avoid that situation and get out of it as fast as you can or you can say Lord God I accept your hand upon my life I recognize your sovereignty in all things please tell me what I need to learn through this experience 
Wouldn't it be terrible to go through three years of a very difficult line management relationship and learn nothing apart from getting resentful, cross, and taking it to some arbitration situation? I think Christians are called to something better than that. That's the way of the world. But as we meet together for prayer on a Wednesday, how good it would be to be able to people to say, not just, I'm really having difficulties in this situation, but please pray for me that I shall know what I need to learn from this situation. So I should be God's ambassador in that situation. So I should honor him in that situation. That I should become more Christ-like because of that situation. So you come to the end of that time and you say, amazingly, thank God I had to go through that time. I would never have learned lessons like I learned during that time. Ah, there's a locked room. Have you got a locked room in your house? When we have people coming to stay, sometimes a lot of things go into one room and the door is closed. Because we haven't got time to sort everything out, put it nicely in its proper place. So the door is closed. They don't need to go and see that room. They can see the rest. In your life, you probably have a locked room. There's stuff that you're allowing the Lord Jesus into, but there's, other, there's a room there that's pretty dark. And he might say to you, oh, I'd rather like to see that room. And you say, lost the key. I don't have the key. I can't let you in. But of course he knows what's in that room anyhow, doesn't he? It's not darkness to him, is it? He knows what's in that room already. But he's a gentleman. And he asks the question, can I have a look? So here I come to something very important in this message. I want you to listen very carefully to this. Because as well as you might be doing in all those other areas, if you've got a locked room and you're not letting the Lord Jesus into that locked room to see what's going on there, you're in serious spiritual trouble. It's the room for some of us where we don't allow our relationships to be a matter of prayer. If there's something that disappoints a pastor's heart, more than anything, it's seeing unhealthy relationships. Relationships that should never be. Relationships that are going to go nowhere. Or relationships that ought to be growing that are just stuck. Where husbands and wives aren't learning to love each other, even though they're both going to the same church. And we say, there's no way you're going to touch that relationship. That's mine. That's mine to look after. Or there's pride. 
We all know something about pride. Pride is when we're not allowing our self-worth or our self-esteem to be in any way damaged by anything the Lord might have to say about us. We're in that locked room in another cupboard. There's secret and besetting sins which nobody knows about except ourselves and the Lord. But we have another key for that as well. Double lock. And there's another cupboard with habits and hobbies. And it may be fine. Or you may just be a bit nervous about it. You're just thinking, I'm not really sure I can open this cupboard up to the full scrutiny of the Lord of the universe. And then there's another place of compromise where you're trying to make bargains with God. Well, I'll do this, I'll do this, but I won't do that. And I want to say, dear brothers and sisters, may the Lord get into the locked room. May the Lord get into the locked room and have his way clear out those cupboards His cleansing fire going through all. Why? Because he's the Lord who delivers and provides and protects and grants victory. Why wouldn't we want him? Why wouldn't we want him to have full control in our lives? And he will direct your paths. If those building blocks are in place in a 24-7 way, we may expect the gentle and generous voice of the Spirit to say to us, this is the way, walk in it. And people of God have, nine times out of ten, found it to be a still, small voice. You just know what God is saying. And you want to walk in it. And that's his promise to us. The Lord will unfold the path of his choosing for us more often than not with deep assurance. And and isn't this a beautiful way? This is so beautiful. I can't think of any other adjective to describe what I've just been talking about. It's beautiful. It's not a hardship. It's not a a terrible thing. It's a beautiful thing. Romans 14, 17 says, The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace and joy. My experience as I look around this congregation is that when I've seen people who've opened their locked rooms, who've allowed the Lord Jesus to have control of their stuff, who've embraced his discipline in their lives, shunned evil there's a harvest of righteousness that belongs to such folk no discipline for the present seems pleasant but grievous but afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are exercised by it Hebrews 12.11 and there's a peace of God here's the well known verse in Philippians 
Don't be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your requests known to God. And God will give you. No, it doesn't say. It tells you what he'll give you. It says, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds. I'm anxious about something. What's the Lord going to give me? He's going to give me his peace. Because that's more important than the thing. The peace of God is enough to keep us all. Peace of God that passes understanding will guard our hearts and minds. What a blessing to live in such a fractious, anxious world and to be able to say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm at peace. It is well with my soul. Isn't that beautiful? I don't wish stuff for you, but I do wish God's peace for you. And joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. Isn't that a lovely thought? Proverbs has a lot to say about people who are downcast and disheartened and how it's like something gnawing away in their bones. But to have the joy of the Lord, I can scale a wall. I can climb a mountain. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So I come to the end of this and I've been so blessed by this word. And I thought to myself, why wouldn't I want to do this? Why wouldn't I want to be in this place? Wouldn't every Christian want to be in this place? But here's the sad fact. We're not. We're not. So we lack the joy of the Lord. We don't know the peace of God. Hallelujah. Well, may God keep you by his grace. And may there be a harvest of righteousness for all of us. And so, if we are hindered, we do need God's grace to embrace this truth, to repent where we have squirreled areas of our life away from God's interrogation and scrutiny, to say, I want to obey, I want to put you first, and to enjoy the blessing of it. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would